Welcome to Slime House, a podcast rated PG for crude humor, outrageous hijinks, and mild language. I'm Mike Thompson. I'm Jasper. I'm Jared. I'm Max. I'm Nelson. And today we are covering Shrek. For centuries, mothers and fathers have read these stories to the delight of children everywhere. But there is one tale that has yet to be told. You definitely need some Tic Tacs or something because your breath stinks. Really? DreamWorks Pictures presents Shrek. Don't look down. Look down. Don't look down. Shrek, I'm looking down. Yeah, big anniversary, big 2-0, 20th anniversary for Shrek. So we're stoked to have you, Mike, for such a, a seminal text and such a landmark episode for us. I'm glad to be back. I, I love almost every single Slimehouse movie, so I'm glad that I get the good ones. <laughs> yes. Yes. Our fans will recall Mike joined us for Elf last winter, and so glad to have him back for for another fairy tale of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who have not seen Shrek, where have you been? 20 years has gone by and you've missed one of the, I would argue, one of the biggest cultural milestones in cinema over the last millennium. It centers around an angry ogre and his loquacious donkey cohort as they journey to save the princess Fiona so she can be married off to the not-so-royal Lord Farquaad. So Shrek had two directors. Um, It was directed by Andrew Adamson, who did the visual effects for Toys and the Schumacher Batman movies, and later went on to direct the Chronicles of Narnia films. And Vicky Jensen, who was a story artist for Fern Gully, as well as some earlier DreamWorks animation movies, uh, Road to El Dorado and Chicken Run. And I feel like really defined what the DreamWorks house style would be from this point going on. Uh, because around this time, it seems like they were putting out a lot of like kind of epic, more sweeping animated movies, such as Road to El Dorado. Spirit was also in the works at the same time as this movie. So uh, pretty much defined DreamWorks going forward. Uh, it was actually based on a book titled Shrek by William Steig, but having read the book, it really only takes the character from the book. Um, it, the story doesn't really follow it that much as far as the major plot went to go. Dalky doesn't speak for one is a major difference. And the book was adapted by a team of writers that included Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, who also wrote Little Monsters and Small Soldiers, two heavy hitters in the Slimehouse world, as well as Aladdin, which I actually think kind of planted the seeds for this movie in a lot of ways. They both have a reliance on pop culture references, which was kind of new and fresh to animation around the time, and also big celebrity stunt casting. A genie, Robin Williams' voice, was one of the first examples of that in animation, and this really continues that. And those voice actors include two actors we've talked about quite a bit on the show already, first being Mike Myers from Cat in the Hat, the second being Eddie Murphy from Haunted Mansion, among other slime gems. We have two other noteworthy voice casts in this film. One is the legendary Cameron Diaz playing Princess Fiona. And then the Trinity killer himself, John Lithgow, playing <laughs> Lord Farquaad. <laughs> Normally on our show, we're in kind of rediscovery mode where we're kind of overturning something we haven't seen in a while and like oh my gosh isn't this crazy you know to revisit and like can you believe this joke all that stuff but shrek is quite different for us shrek 
is a movie that I think everyone born from like the last 40 years has seen many, many, many times. And so I think that rather than like rehashing some of like the plot moments or some like the slimiest moments, I think it's really important to like think of this in the cultural context and looking back 20 years, like what this movie did from a cultural perspective, I think is really fascinating. So let's dive into that. Let's just talk about maybe a combination of our personal experiences and then also kind of how this movie really took the world by storm in May of 2001. Just remember seeing this like uh, the weekend after it came out in theaters and just remember the opening scene of this that has that storybook that, you know, gets opened by itself somehow and has this once upon a time, you know, picture book kind of look to it kind of a little bit like the beauty and the beast 1991 movie and how that opens but then you have mike myers a shrek narrating he's reading the storybook out loud and then he's just like <laughs> yeah right and he tears the page i just knew when that happened and you know smash mouth kicks in and just like you knew you were watching something special like even then more so than any movie we've talked about yet it's just a very formational film for me and my sense of humor that kind of irreverent humor and you know here we are yeah, I feel like as far as context goes for this movie, I think that's a good kind of segue into that as far as this movie's context within sort of the world of animation and kids' movies. Just the way this movie begins with like a classic storybook vibe and then the rugs pulled out from under you and you get this like barrage of gross-out humor. And a Smash Mouth song. Two Smash Mouth songs. Yeah, and a Smash Mouth song. Can't forget that. Very important. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like this movie, even though, of course, as I mentioned, it's a DreamWorks movie, I feel like Disney play a huge part in this movie's sort of tone and why this movie felt so fresh. Um, a lot of this feels very much like a response to the typical Disney fair, which had just had just kind of gone through with a renaissance with Michael Eisner coming into the company and then sort of crashed and burned uh, around this time. So I think there was a demand for sort of counter-programming to the Disney fair, and I think Shrek provided that sort of edge to family movies at a perfect time for it. Kind of combining both Jared and Max's points, a very formative movie in just terms of my personal sense of humor, but I also think the sense of humor for a generation in a weird way going through this this time the subversiveness and sense of parody that's in this movie but there's a real sense of playing against expectation and there's a smart aleck sensibility to it and playing off those those expectations of that disney renaissance that you know we all kind of grew up with the little mermaids the aladdins which i actually think there's this sense of this movie knows what it is. It's self-aware and it's not afraid to comment on one family movies as a whole, but also just fairy tale narratives and rip that apart in a very anarchaic way that I think I say this all the time is such of the slime house ethos, but also, <laughs> you know, watching this, you know, a lot of kind of like, meme culture and the random humor of you know kind of the later thousands that was really popular i think really stems from this movie you know it was it was the first real mainstream piece of media to cover so much of that style of humor and be widely accepted by both kids and adults and the hollywood elite so to speak 
Yeah, I mean, it was the first Academy Award winner for Best Animated Film. And, uh, yeah, I like your point about how, like, you know, this movie had such an imprint on, like, meme culture that you see on the internet these days. Like, Shrek really is an evergreen, no pun intended. <laughs> like, I mean, in the mid-2010s, you had the Shrek is Love, Shrek is Life videos, which I won't get too into, but... Taking us back to 2001 when this came out, first of all, this was a 3D animated movie at, at a time when, like, that was still kind of, like, is a movie going to be 2D or 3D? And 3D kind of meant modern and kind of pushing forward. And it's sort of taking information that people know. Kids kind of know what fairy tales are going to be, the Once Upon a Time stuff and the princesses and the dragons and all that, and sort of like flipping that on its head, like, what, the dragon is a girl? You know, like, oh, what? The princess is has a secret that you wouldn't expect? You know, it's sort of flipping all the fairy tale conventions on their head, on top of having that random humor and that very modern edge to it, to the point where I think it just took the world by storm and like everyone could like this movie. There was something truly for all ages in this movie in a way that I do feel like there was kind of before Shrek and after Shrek in terms of like family movies and, and everything that came since then had to have a little more self-awareness because Shrek really like poked the bull of, of like a classic fairy tale, self-serious family movie. Yeah, it feels like this is one of the, if not the earliest, like, kids family movie I can think of that really is, can be considered, like, satirical. I mean, it's a very on-the-nose satire for the most part, and it's also just a comedy on its own with the characters, but really brings in a lot of elements of, like, like we've said, satirizing a genre, which I don't really feel like you see much of that sort of thing in kids' movies before that, and after this, it feels like every kids' movie had to have at least one reference to, like, what kind of movie it was or reference the term like damsel in distress or these different tropes. And I feel like Shrek really popularized elements of self-awareness in kids comedy that weren't there prior to Shrek. I was gonna say earlier you brought up the lady who did the story and she did Fern Gully. And that was one of those movies, probably like my hands down, my most favorite movie ever uh, I've ever watched. But it had Robin Williams as one of the character voices. And then in that movie, they did a lot of musical references and used a lot of popular music. And I felt like that's what I got with Shrek. So it reminded me of that. And that's what like really hit me was that I realized this wasn't your average Disney movie because it wasn't original songs. It wasn't like the campy princesses singing into the wind and stuff like that. When they did those elements, it was definitely a joke. So when you watch this movie, it's like there's Smash Mouth, there's uh, Hallelujah, there's always songs that make you think of just regular live action movies. So then you forget that he's actually an ogre and you're like, oh, it's just the really fat Mike Myers walking around. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I, I feel like I love the movie the most. Um, and then when I was little, the references to like sexual things and things that were cursing were hilarious because like I was in the junior high, high school age. So hmm. we would always like look over and be like, oh my gosh, he almost said ass. Yeah, or exactly. like we think about like the donkey like and the dragon and now rewatching it I'm like all I can imagine is the donkey and the dragon having sex so that, <laughs> that like ruins that kind of ruins it but like those things are what made it so much fun because you were like looking over at your mom and dad like oh I hope they don't know that I understand what this joke is <laughs> Yeah, I think I think this movie found a really good balance in that regard because we've talked about in a lot of movies uh, before this that we've talked about that don't really land 
have a lot of innuendos. I mean, a movie that came after this, also Mike Myers' uh, Cat in the Hat, is full of innuendos that just sort of are feel like they go a little too far. I think this is a perfect <laughs> movie where the innuendos are something that a kid would either get and find funny or like 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 we said sees someone almost saying ass like that's a major source of yeah. humor and <laughs> this in general has like a lot more profanity not anything serious but like damn and ass and words like that there's just and in general just an attitude of sexual humor that is present but not present enough to where i think it's uncomfortable or awkward in the way it feels in a lot of other movies where they shoehorn adult jokes into a what's ostensibly a kid's movie yeah i was in college when i realized that farquad was just this huge like penis metaphor you know like i didn't get that i mean i like i've seen the movie a zillion times and so it's funny that like you can just get oh haha he's short like a kid can find that funny and leave it at that even though like when you watch it in your 20s it's like brutally obvious how like stature and measuring up you name it the tower all this stuff it's like they're hitting you on the head with it but in a way that's age appropriate you know that's not like cat in the hat which is like oh like a kid doesn't need to hear that language yeah i feel like the the compensating for something joke is the perfect example of something like that where like for a kid you think, oh, compensating for something, he's short. It's his height. But to an adult, like they know that it really is a, a penis size reference. It's a, it's, it's a, and I think that that balance is really good for the movie. Yeah, and the way that joke is delivered too is very funny in the movie because Shrek obviously, like in his head, you know, is thinking, oh, this is like, haha, he's compensating. You know, he's thinking phallic, but then Donkey's like, huh? You know, he doesn't get it. So in a weird way, like you have both sides of the humor understanding apparent in the movie so it can cater to both audiences as opposed to you know only having one character deliver the punchline and that's what the audience should understand is that one perspective of the humor yeah and i think something about this movie that really shows that is that this movie truly was like accepted like we said by kids by parents by uh, the Hollywood elite at large, as we saw. I think nothing speaks to that more than that this actually screened in competition at the Cannes Film Festival the year it came out in 2001. And I was curious, just like, is, is, is it normal? Because I don't know exactly what's in competition every year at Cannes. Is it normal for like movies you don't think of? It's like a Cannes kind of movie to show in competition. And it's really not because... Just looking at the year Shrek was nominated, apparently it was the first movie to screen in competition since... Peter Pan, which was in the 1950s, so a very long time ago. Wow, and Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah, and just like some of the other directors who were just going against Shrek at the Palme d'Or, you have like Jean-Luc Godard, Sai Ming Lang, Jacques Rivette, David Lynch, Mulholland Drive was screened in competition. So very weird things for this to be going against. I think the jury had Liv Ullman and Edward Yang. Very funny to imagine them sitting down to watch Shrek for the first time <laughs> and sort of having to compare it to like Mulholland Drive and their, their voting. But yeah, like it's crazy to me how much this movie was taken seriously as just like a real movie compared to a lot of animated movies around the time. Like they would never screen, I don't know, Ants at Cannes, which is a prior DreamWorks movie. Well, it kind of reminded me this time around of a movie like Monty Python and the Holy Grail or The Princess Bride really came to mind as well. These mm. these movies that take these kind of high fantasy tropes, 
prestige kind of fairy tale ideas and turn it into this loony irreverent comedy and at that point you know like we were kind of about to experience a fantasy revival you know with lord of the rings and things like that kind of coming into popularity right after this movie but watching this too i was like wow did i never thought of it this way but in a weird way i feel like this movie also contributed to that reinvigorated interest in the fantasy genre that storybook high literature genre one influence that i've really caught on to this time maybe it's because there's robin hood and men in tights at one point in this film is mel brooks i feel like yeah his presence is really in this film to me just the movies he was putting out like young frankenstein and what have you that like really skewered a certain like subgenre of film really really well this movie is of that spirit and like i think what dreamworks was going for with this movie and beyond was very very informed by him and he's even going to be in blazing samurai soon so Hmm. maybe we'll see it for sure and it's taking that amazing type of satire and putting it in something that kids can laugh along with too and i think that that revolutioned what potential energy a movie could have. I, I remember seeing this in theaters. I don't remember when I saw it, if it was opening weekend or whatever, but I hadn't even heard of the movie. Like it was, a, I hadn't seen a trailer or anything like that. We we went along and like, I knew Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy were in it. Those were big enough names at the time that I would know who they were. And so like, it felt like this crazy discovery that like everyone had to see and everyone had to kind of see for themselves. That's funny that you, like the trailer didn't hit your radar because at least in kind of my social circle at the time in fourth grade, or maybe it was third grade. Yeah, Third grade, end of third, third grade. Third grade yeah. at the time, yeah. The trailer, we quoted that movie endlessly. You know, the I'm making a waffles line. Like the amount of times we said that on the playground was endless. I mean, it was mostly we just quoted the Eddie Murphy donkey stuff from the trailer. You know, the, the tick, your breath stinks line. You know, all of that. Like this was a very hyped movie kind of you know, Riverside, California, (laughs) where I grew up, at least there was something fresh, just even in the trailer that you were like, whoa, like this, this looks like a fun time. I mean, that's so interesting. That's so interesting because to me, it's the ultimate word of mouth movie because I remember seeing it blind. And if you look at the box office, it kind of checks that experience where it did about 45 and change first weekend, then the same number the second weekend, which movies never make the same amount the second weekend. The only other movie on that scale that did it was Avatar. And it's not a coincidence that they were both these juggernaut blockbusters. And so I think of the same lines, we said that all the same donkey quotes, all that stuff like that too. But after we'd seen the movie, I feel like that next year we were, you know, everyone was making references to this movie and it, it did become kind of culturally transcendent for an era. Mike, I'm curious because you're a little bit older than us a little bit obviously this movie kind of caters to a lot of age age groups not too much but i think you know the difference between elementary school and i, I think you said you're in middle school or early high school at the time i think there is a big difference in kind of a, a kid's sense of humor so for you kind of what was the hype surrounding this movie or what did you know people take away from it after they'd seen it i i think the the hype was huge because we for the same reasons that you were saying like with the one-liners and quoting like Eddie Murphy and stuff from the trailer, like this movie basically had the perfect recipe because Cameron Diaz had already been playing characters 
where she's the hot girl that the guy kind of wants to go after. She's connected to the bad guys, you know, like in the mask and stuff like that. But then you have uh, Eddie Murphy, who was Mushu already before. So he was already the like talking animal who has the one-liners. So that was already like sold. You know, John Lithgow being kind of like this pompous douchebag, almost everything he plays in the <laughs> character. And then Mike Myers, like, this is Austin Powers. So we already, we know that voice. So when you hear that, everyone knows exactly who it is. So it's like, basically the, the movie was just set up to be great from the minute the trailer popped up. I was like, oh, I already know this movie. I already know what's going to happen. Like, it's obviously he's going to save the princess. They're going to fall in love. But... I'm just curious at what's all the things they're going to say in between from point A to point B. And that's where you get all like the, the funny quotes and then also the music, the soundtrack. Yeah. I like that note that you, that you kind of were like, Oh, I know how this story is going to go. And I kind of alluded to it earlier, but you know, when you're this age, you grow up hearing these fairy tales as bedtime stories, you know, how they all go. They all have the same blueprint. So I think this movie just ripping that blueprint apart was so cool, you know, to young kids who were like looking for something a little bit more intelligent, a little bit more ahead of the curve where the humor was the cool part, not the fact that there's a knight in shining armor with like swords and damsels in distress and stuff. And even the plot element, I mean, I think of the Fiona reveal that she's has a nighttime ogre problem. I think of that as like an M. Night Shyamalan level twist. Like that was a huge twist. I remember it, you know, and, and I'm not worried about spoilers now because again, if you're 30 minutes into this episode and you haven't seen Shrek, I don't know where you've been for 20 years. You but, should just, you should just like rip your ears off. There's yeah, no <laughs> rip your, rip <laughs> your, <laughs> stuff your ears full of Shrek earwax. <laughs> and it was a big, like successfully delivered twist in a way that like M. Night would be proud of. And yet it was in Shrek. It was in a kid's movie. And yet you can still watch the movie and it doesn't ruin the rest of the movie. It's not, that's just like one of the many factors in the pie that make this movie a delight. So obviously this movie was this cultural phenomenon and it's sequels, Shrek 2, Shrek the third, not so much Shrek Forever After, but you know, subsequent sequels were also, you know, kind of cultural phenomenons financially at least. But this show is called Slimehouse. So where does this fit in the kind of Slimehouse world, do you guys think? Like, this is our first animated movie we've covered on the show. And it definitely doesn't look like a lot of the other Slimehouse movies we've covered. It's a period piece. It's about an ogre, you know. I think the closest comparison could be the Grinch, which is, has a similar mindset to it. But curious where you guys kind of see this fitting in and kind of your hypotheses of how this influenced where the genre was to go. Yeah, I have kind of an interesting, kind of a fascinating note to me on this movie. I have sort of a theory about this movie's role in Slimehouse. Um, I think that this movie, I have not that, that really decided to save that for the slime scores, how slimy this movie is, but I think it actually was something that helped to usher in, to me at least, sort of the decline of Slimehouse as an art form, despite having a lot of elements of sliminess. Uh, I think both it and Grinch 2000, actually, which we've also talked about, and we concluded was a very slimy movie, uh, came out right before this. And I think Slimehouse always, prior to those two movies, sort of read to me as, like, 
the counter programming to sort of the wholesome family entertainment that you get out of like like we said we've talked about Disney multiple times throughout. I feel like with Shrek and Grinch being such massive hits, it kind of blew the door off that, and these became the popular kids' movies. There wasn't really anything that they were satirizing anymore. Once you get three Shreks in, it's the biggest franchise in the world, so it's not really poking fun at like the dominant family entertainment <laughs> in the way that it was before. Yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. Slimehouse kind of, I feel like with Shrek, the popularity of Shrek kind of lost its edge, lost its like... The way it sort of you feel edgy when you were a kid, like I'm not. I'm watching Max Keeble where he's teaching the bullies a lesson and throwing the school in the havoc. I'm not watching like whatever Angels in the Outfield or what Disney's putting out. And I think Shrek and Grinch being as irreverent and sort of subversive and self-referential as they are, sort of just brought that into be the family movie. All family movies were kind of a Shrek, a sarcastic, a little bit crude, and I think that helped usher in. Slimehouse not really being a thing anymore and instead being sort of just the the dominant family movie archetype sort of absorbing Slimehouse. It's brilliant, honestly. <laughs> That's really... <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I never thought of it as like this beginning of the end, but that makes so much sense. Yeah, that was something I thought of today and I just thought it snapped into place while I was watching it just because I was looking at all the movies that came before and after and sort of where I'd place them on the timeline. Building right off of what Max said, this kind of, I think, solidifies this, maybe. When you think about these actors, you think Mike Myers, Slimehouse star, Eddie Murphy, total Slimehouse star, Cameron Diaz, is she a Slimehouse star? And my gut would say no. But I did some research, and I actually think that Diaz is just as much integral to the sliminess of this movie. In 2001, the Kids' Choice Awards introduced a new category. They introduced Best Burp, and the inaugural winner was Cameron Diaz. Not for this movie, mind you. 2001 was for movies the year prior. So she won for Charlie's Angels, and online you can find that she was actually kind of known for her burp. It, like, there's a Jay Leno bit she did about burping, and so... There was something about like a hot girl who could burp that was made for humor and, and was like in the cultural consciousness, like mainstreamized that like something very slimy. And by the time that Shrek came out, A, there's a whole scene where Cameron Diaz gets to burp, but all of the humor was around like burps and farts and all that. And so the Kids Choice Awards have this new category that in 2001, they had best burp. In 2002, they had a best burp category tied Jessica Alba and Steve Irwin, go figure. In, <laughs> Steve Irwin? <laughs> who knows? Crocodile and, Hunter, maybe. Yeah. And, oh, then yeah. In, and then in 2003, the year that we think Slimehouse became oversaturated, they had not only the best burp category, but they also had a favorite fart category. And so they had both here. Then in 2004, they went down to just favorite fart. And by 2005, there were no longer burps or farts being awarded prizes at the Kids' Choice Awards. Look at Nelson with a T. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. That's a very fascinating thing to uncover. Uh, I was going to say, I don't know if you did this intentionally, Nelson, but there's a movie that I think that is somewhat Slimehouse, but adult slime. And you kept saying, there's something about a hot girl. There's something about, the, like, when uh, Cameron Diaz was in There's Something About Mary, that movie, like, is very much for adults. But there are definitely like elements of Slimehouse tropes in that adult movie. It's like almost was that mean the Ferrelli brothers uh, were pretty much 
it seemed like they were trying to make the adult slime house movie but yeah so i yeah maybe uh-huh. most my age i when i saw that she was in this movie in shrek i was like oh for sure like i always remember her from being kind of like the quirky girl and like the mask and stuff like that so to me it, it felt normal mm-hmm. yeah that's actually crazy you said that mike because i was thinking the exact same thing just sort of how i feel like I'm glad that Nelson mentioned Cameron Diaz because I feel like something about Mary and sort of the, the Fairley Brothers sensibilities, is, though those are very adult movies, R-rated comedies for the most part, do I feel like kind of contribute a lot to Slime because they really, I feel like brought scatological humor to the mainstream of comedy, which of course was very important to Slime House. And I think that that's a pretty important development sort of in the road to the slime house of the 2000s. It's just, and I mean, the Fairley Brothers went on to make several slime house movies, including Osmosis Jones and Three Stooges, I think is a good one. So interesting to see sort of these adult comedy directors who planted some slime house seeds pivot fully in the slime house later in their careers. It's just very interesting how they got these different stars to, um, you know, be in this kind of like, movie that fit them like a glove but it didn't feel like it was they're watering down their kind of energy or vibe i also think a lot about how this you know shrek himself was supposed to be voiced by chris farley at one point at a very early stage fartwad gets his princess i get what i want which is i don't have time to set it to music you're just displacing your anger. Believe me, it's properly placed. You're really mad at whoever did this to you. No one did anything to me. Yes, yes, yes. Someone hurt you so bad. Someone hurt you many years ago. Leave my parents out of this. Yeah, I think they actually recorded a lot of that. Mike Myers ended up having to record new dialogue yeah. over it, which Mike Myers' voice acting, just while we're on that, I think is kind of an interesting aspect of the movie because he recorded it initially using... Uh, things have differed on what I've seen, whether he used a Canadian accent, which would be his natural accent, or some said he used a country accent. He recorded the whole film with that and then went back and asked if he could re-record the whole thing in the Scottish dialogue because he thought it was more applicable to the character. Yeah. And I do that. I think that's definitely the case. I think, mm-hmm. I think, I think that really shows the amount of creativity and how much leeway they gave to the comedic stars of this movie to kind of create their own characters. A lot of Eddie Murphy's lines were improv as well. And I think that sort of building an animated movie around these comedic personas feels like something that became increasingly prevalent in Slime. And actually, Aladdin and Mushu are good examples of characters that predate that too, uh, who were letting big-ticket comedians kind of craft their own animated characters yeah and it's two thoughts on on kind of this this topic i think it's pretty amazing that i think this was almost kind of like the last animated movie to really use the stars behind it as a driving force of the marketing and of the personality of the movie you know you think about toy story you know I remember Tom Hanks and Tim Allen being a big selling point of like, you know, these guys are the voice actors of this movie. Even, this is a weird one, but like Road to El Dorado, I remember the advertising saying like, Kenneth Branagh and Kevin Kline in the Road to El Dorado. And kind of after this movie, you know, maybe a little bit, I, I think Shark Tale might have had this too with like Will Smith and Angelina Jolie, but 
this movie felt like the pinnacle of that kind of celebrity stunt casting in an animated movie because it really couldn't be topped in a way like it was so good and you know like donkey i think is the best example it's like it's the perfect middle ground of oh that that's definitely eddie murphy like you there's nobody else who could play that character but it's also definitely donkey like Mm -hmm. i don't think oh that's eddie murphy like as donkey it's like that's donkey there's so much like magic about that that that's just really incredible it's it's almost like you can't really describe it it's just there's it's it's like the serendipitous pairing but what i think is really interesting about this movie that i noticed this time around is that mike myers voice acting is actually very sincere in this movie and the character of shrek it almost feels like his most dramatic performance in a weird way like austin powers is so over the top wayne's world is so loony you know but shrek is a very sincere kind of sad character and he does a lot of comedy in this but that heart is i think what really makes this movie work and makes it so beloved because they could just go full-on gross with it yeah but he brings that sentimentality to shrek in a way that i don't ever see in another mike myers movie and i think that that's really really impressive what about love guru do you see that (laughs) a little bit you know he's got that that romance side (laughs) are you hiding something never mind donkey Oh, this is another one of those onion things, isn't it? No, this is one of those drop it and leave it alone things. Uh, why don't you want to talk about it? Why do you want to talk about it? <laughs> why are you blocking? I'm not blocking. Oh, yes, you are. Donkey, I'm warning you. Who are you trying to keep out? Just tell me that, Shrek. Who? Everyone, okay? That stun casting, I think, sums up Max's points and even my my little kid's choice tangent. They're like, at this point, like it all came together to make Shrek the cultural phenomenon it was. And everything that came after it was just trying to capture that fairy dust that was in Shrek, really. I mean, if you think about Shark Tale being a great example, like they were trying to do like, you know, big funny guy, a little not funny guy, put them together and Shark Tale, you know? And like, they weren't going to beat it. They, They couldn't beat what was just this, you know, true whirlwind of humor, originality, new technology, all put together to a bang and smash mouth soundtrack. <laughs> you know, it's not a gross film in the sense that South Park is gross, but I think it participates in the revolution where yeah. teenagers in particular are now looking at animation in a different way as a satirical tool and as a yeah. kind of a weapon against society. And this movie is not mean. It's more and wicked. It's okay it's for kids, but it and is wicked with sort the of humor. sly. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. a lot of great stuff going on here. Okay. On food! Time's easy, Squirt. It's fun for your food. Watch this. Bug on a button. <laughs> Shrek, you eat some funny stuff. It's just green. The new limited edition Shrek Easy Squirt bottles in stores now. Yeah, sort of going back to that Kids' Choice Awards thing, just kind of tracing the rise and fall of Slimehouse through Burp and the Fart Awards. Uh, <laughs> what, what year did you say it was again that they completely discontinued both? 2005, there were no longer burps or farts. That's when we became woke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the key, like, crucial thing to look at, I feel like, to Slimehouse, because it kind of... You see it come to a head with Shrek, of course, as we said, with burp and fart. And then I feel like even though Shrek had the burps and farts and stuff, like sort of going back to what you were also just saying, Nelson, it also has the heart. And like you were saying, Jasper, it also has a lot of heart 
to it. And I think once this series lost its heart, and once like a lot of the animated movies that took Shrek as inspiration, it feels like they sort of took the wrong lesson from Shrek and leaned into being gross and full of pop culture references and forgot about the heart of it. Yeah. So a movie that kind of balances the heart with the heart with the fart, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Shrek is where that really peaks. And then you slowly see it kind of taper off as you bring in farts in the movies that are purely crude in there. I mean, Scooby-Doo, I think is a great movie, but that's a perfect example of just a shoehorned in crude fart scene. And when the movies lost all of their sympathy for the characters, I think that happened with the Shrek franchise, even as it went later on. I think three and four are much less heartfelt movies. I think that the heart, when that was lost, is when audiences really lost their patience with these kinds of movies, and they became a lot less popular, and the more earnest kind of Pixar movies kind of came back into extreme popularity, and the later Disney movies like Tangled or... Frozen. DreamWorks never really had another critically acclaimed movie. I think that I, I hadn't really thought about the heart, but you're right. Like Shrek is a really sincere character, and it plays really well because Donkey is the opposite. Like you need comedy is all about opposites, you know. And after this, there was never a DreamWorks movie that was like a, a best adapted screenplay nominee. Don't do How to Train Your Dragon like that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a classic movie. That's worth throwing in there that they had it, but it, I think of. DreamWorks' next output after this is, like, over-the-hedge B-movie. <laughs> like, they really went into... There's actually... Shout-out to Big Joel, video essayist. He did the whole, like, series on trash-era DreamWorks. And, you know, it's, like... It's pretty fascinating. They went in a so totally different direction than, than that sincerity that Shrek managed to have. Shark Tale, in particular, felt like the beginning of the end of that style of film. Like, just remember when that came out, it just but like a nothing burger. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of wild that like they started out with Shrek. They're, like we said, a very subversive, like anti-fairy tale kind of thing. And then they sort of made their comeback with How to Train Your Dragon, which is a very heartfelt sort of like sincere fantasy, high fantasy film. It's interesting to see the way that the audience's favors have changed. That In 2000, they wanted to see a sarcastic look at fairy tales and then the later 2000s with how to train your dragon the taste had turned more towards more serious fantasy films than something poking fun at the thing yeah kung fu panda is another comeback too that i feel like is a pretty sincere movie as well as far as like it's not really poking fun at any sorts of tropes it's i think that's when they came back is when they brought back all the heart they stopped copying Disney movies. So there was like a period I feel like there would always be one Disney movie that came out that had like a bird in it. And then DreamWorks had a movie that has a bird in it. And then movie about toys. Another movie about toys. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, yeah, it's, it's interesting how kind of explicit the feud between DreamWorks and Disney led to this movie kind of. Because it's a long, boring story for the most part. If you like hearing about Michael Eisner's <laughs> personal problems, I suggest the book Disney War that's kind of about this era of Disney and Jeffrey Katzenberg started going to DreamWorks. But it's interesting, kind of this movie, which is very much acting as a response to Disney, actually the sort of auteur behind it is the producer, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was went on to, of course, be the head of Quibi, as we all know. <laughs> he was the head of DreamWorks at this time, and this movie in a lot of ways kind of feels like his personal F.U. to Michael Eisner, who was the head of Disney that actually fired Katzenberg, and they had a very tumultuous relationship, lawsuit after lawsuit, and I'm pretty sure they still hate each other. But 
Farquad is very much suspected by media insiders, industry insiders, to be a reference to Michael Eisner. He's made to look a lot like him, and just to have him be this sort of emperor has no clothes yeah. guy in charge feels very targeted at Michael Eisner. And then not only that, the whole movie is sort of a not super harsh, but a poking fun at the Disney Renaissance movies that Michael Eisner really brought in. So it's interesting just to look that Disney and DreamWorks had a explicit feud between the people in charge who like who called each other names publicly and stuff like that, and that that's kind of what resulted in Shrek, which became a landmark movie for a whole generation, all between the petty feuds of two men. And the town of Duloc itself yeah. is a play on yeah. Disneyland. You know, oh, yeah. It, I was a huge Disneyland goer as a kid with my folks, and the, <laughs> the shot where they kind of crane down and you see the parking lot names. With like, <laughs> oh, <Dora> yeah. <laughs> Rapunzel's lot. Like that. Yep. I remember seeing that. And as a kid, that small little joke, that small little reference was so eye opening to me. Like, oh my God, I like I get some subversive like reference. And I loved that as a kid. You know, and then and then they go in and you have the Duloc song, you know, that's classic at this point. When the um, mascot gets scared and he like yeah. runs through the line. <laughs> I love that. I didn't go to Disneyland as much, but I remember that it's a play on It's a Small World and like it all yes. kind of has that vibe. So and then the tower itself is kind of like yeah, like Disney poking fun. So yeah, it's 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 like you're in on the humor and that's so when you're a kid that feels like the best feeling you know it, it feels like you're a little more grown up and you're kind of getting what's going on with those jokes like parking lot humor and disneyland humor wow let's do that again no 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 I did want to bring up something about that the feud castle, but no, no, that's no, so, well, I guess a little bit that because the symbol, the Farquad's like symbol is like it looks exactly like what would become the Facebook symbol. Oh yeah, <laughs> I noticed. I, that. I noticed that I noticed. too. I thought that was so weird. It's like same color, <laughs> oh, same sure, color scheme, that. and everything. <laughs> it's just a single something. like lowercase f, and it's a yeah. it's like white font, blue background. <laughs> Did Shrek predict like, I... Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like like when I first like started watching the movie, I completely like lost track of when Facebook was actually created. So I saw like it, I saw that and I was like, oh, a Facebook reference. Before immediately, my mom was like, wait, that's impossible. This predates Facebook by by years, especially that particular logo. But yeah, very funny. Katzenberg. Uh, Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Come on, oh, that's true. The two. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I like where this conversation is going because it's you know we've talked a lot about how Slimehouse was kind of birthed out of the Nickelodeon sensibility, but look at Disney during this time period. Like this was a dark period for Disney. You know, the early thousands kind of creeping into the later thousands. Like Disney was not cranking out hits aside from pixar movies you know which were massive you know monsters inc finding nemo the incredibles were all huge hits but the disney style of storytelling is exactly what slimehouse as a whole i think was going against and shrek was that moment where people realized 
oh, there's a world for family entertainment beyond Disney, and this is what we want right now. And, you know, as quickly as it rose, it, it fell, as we've kind of determined. But the more we talk about it and the movies we really look at and that we've kind of deemed as the primest of slime, no matter which era they kind of came out in, they all are kind of of this anti-Disney sentiment, aside from Max Keeble, which was a Disney movie. But that movie came from guys at Nickelodeon, Tim Hill and, you know, a lot of those early Nickelodeon cohorts. So, yeah, this is maybe just an anti-Disney podcast at its core. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think some other important things this introduced sort of to animation that we've touched on a little bit, but I think are kind of key to Shrek's influence are both the pop culture references and also Mike mentioned this a little bit, the contemporary soundtrack, I feel like, feels very important to animation going onward because it does not feel like it's soundtracked like an animated movie. It feels like it's soundtracked just like any other big-budget comedy movie. She waited in the Dragon's Keep, in the highest room of the tallest tower, for her true love and true love's first kiss. (laughs) Like that's ever gonna happen. Oh, Lord. Somebody wants The all-star track in the opening was a temp track that they threw in there to get the flavor of it, and they couldn't find a substitute, so they left it in. It was not meant to be the the this way, and so yeah. I think that that speaks to the movie was intended to be a little more traditional. But then as they sort of found stuff that was clicking and working, they leaned more into that. And the other thing with that is, yes, normally, like, when you watch a classic Disney movie, it's kind of, like, transporting you into that world. But Shrek is doing something different. It's sort of, like, reaching its hand back to the, the quote, real world with references to Disneyland and pop culture things that it didn't click to me until rewatching it, but, like, the whole fight scene in the middle feels like a WWE wrestling moment, mm-hmm. you know, like that's something that most animated movies tried to kind of world build so that you forgot about everywhere else, including in their music. But Shrek is sort of able to do both. It's able to like have its world, but also connect to your world. I was going to say you, when you brought up Smash Mouth, like the minute I heard the all-star song, like, I don't know if this was intentional or not on their part, but I automatically was like, oh, Mystery Men. And how Mystery Men <laughs> wasn't like your mom and your average like superhero movie. I was like, this is not going to be your average fairy tale movie. So whether they meant to do that or not, it definitely set the tone for the whole movie. You already knew it was not going to be what you're expecting or what you want from that genre. Yeah, actually, I, I found there's a quote I really like I found in a recent, an oral history by Rolling Stone of the Shrek soundtrack. It's from the co-director Vicky Jansen, and uh, this is her comment on why they kept All Star for the intro. She said, The tone of the song seemed to capture the self-sufficient, rebellious celebration of Shrek's filthy life. And I feel like the <laughs> thing is saying it's a rebellious celebration of a filthy life. I feel like that's a good way to sum up sort of this movie's tone and sort of, I think that that really shows why all-star fits the world of shrek so well and 
I really like that you brought that up, Nelson, that these pop culture references sort of act to tie these movies into our world more, because that really is a good point that, like, this movie, though it's set in the fantasy world, is still set in our world, sort of, while we're watching it. It's like watching people in our world, even if they're donkeys and ogres and there's castles, because they're referencing The Matrix. Shrek says something about quotes the movie babe at one point to donkey just, <laughs> yes. he's referencing stuff he's it's referencing media in our world even though presumably that stuff does not exist in the the world of the movie yes going on the soundtrack a bit more it starts with smash mouth it ends with smash mouth doing a cover of i'm a believer which was using the trailer for the movie i think the original song was using the trailer for it hmm. but also on the soundtrack to this i don't know if it's actually in the film but baja men have a cut mm-hmm. um and we got to talk about the people who did like the music supervision for this and like picked the songs like they really had an ear to the ground of like what was out there in you know the contemporary music world that was going to fit and so we get i think one of the first major times that iconic hallelujah by leonard cohen is used in a film or television show and it's just it's it's since become such as like anthem of melancholia if you will my high school band played this song, and it actually said, like, on the sheet music, like, hallelujah, then, like, beneath in parentheses, from Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> Before this, I mean, it's kind of a late Leonard Cohen song, a weird song, his original version, but it's crazy how much it's clout it's gained in pop culture and use in so much, and I feel like Shrek is largely responsible for that. That song's really interesting. This was my first time hearing it. You know, one of my reasons why I wanted the soundtrack and actually, on the soundtrack, it's by Rufus Wainwright. As I watched the movie this time, I noticed he's not singing it. It's actually John Cale singing it, which is really That's interesting. such a weird, yeah. Uh-huh. And it's funny because I think the most popular version of it, just general culture, is the Jeff Buckley version. So it's no matter who's singing it, no matter who's playing it, you know what it is, and everyone kind of has their favorite version of it. But I like what you said. It, I think that all kind of... That this generational embrace of this song, I think, really did come from this movie about a smelly green ogre, which is very funny because <laughs> it's such a poetic song, you know, and a sad song. And yeah, I do think I think you can trace it back because I I can remember to be like, oh, hallelujah, you know, you know, the one from that scene in Shrek, like they would say that context with it, you know, it wasn't like oh the Leonard Cohen song, it was like oh the the Shrek song, and and it's in other movies too. It was Zack Snyder's daughter's favorite song, and so it's in both Watchmen and... He picked that scene for his daughter's favorite song? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very bizarre... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But then also in the Snyder Cut, it's the end credits song. And so I think... But by now, it's kind of like... It's kind of like a, me- a tried meme as opposed to like something fresh and original. And so I think that difference is significant. On the soundtrack... There's a great musical number in this that's actually not included in the movie that to me is almost, in my kind of personal experience, the defining moment of this movie. And that's the Shrek and the Swamp karaoke dance party, which was on the DVD features. (laughs) I don't know how many times I watched that as a kid, you know, with friends and family. But again, this movie's use of pop culture in a way that is fresh and funny and introduces kind of a lot of these classic references to kids is this interesting generational bridge that really works super well. I think also this movie was a big technological bridge as well, because it was one of the first movies that I had on DVD, if not the first. So 
this I think this movie just got watched so much because people just had it on DVD, you know, and just going through the bonus features, the Shrek technical bloopers. <laughs> this is really random, but they're they're very formational for me and my sense of humor. My sister and I still joke about some of those. The Shrek technical bloopers are some of my favorite pieces of filmmaking ever in terms of just humor. Lord Farquaad's the perfect bride for the perfect groom is like the best in like the blooper form because he's just like his face is half animated. <laughs> it's like his hair is all messed up. It's just it just it's so interesting. And, and now it's kind of like I look back at him like watching this funky animation that's half done with you know these hilarious sound bites it, it to me it's just like i can easily trace that to like a lot of the memes i think are so funny today i will always think of jasper when, when i saw that line in the rewatch because jasper always just whenever anyone said something was perfect jasper would say the perfect bride for the perfect groom <laughs> yeah th those technical bloopers were key to my sense of humor too oh, i funny. definitely watched those a lot and just like yeah. laughed so hard that there was, I remember what, like, there's multiple ones where you just like Fiona doesn't have a face. Yeah. But there's one in particular where Shrek's face looks really weird. His teeth yeah. are like really. Exactly. And I just remember finding that one extremely funny. And well, then, yeah, but the, I feel like this, this movie really harkens back to a time when I love DVD bonus features, which I mean, yeah. I still do. Like on a Criterion DVD, I'll always check out and stuff. But back when this really like made me interested in seeing like in DVDs as opposed to just movies because there was so much fun bonus stuff like the karaoke dance party I watched all the time, the bloopers. And I think it's interesting you brought that title like memes because I think that Shrek, of course, has become a very popular meme in the last, especially I feel like when I was in high school, I was very into like weird Shrek memes, like random Shrek humor. And I, honestly, I never thought of it until you mentioned that, but I feel like maybe the tendency to find Shrek funny when he's depicted as weird or creepy in some way maybe goes back to those technical bloopers and they primed <laughs> us for finding finding a deformed shrek to be hilarious i also think that there's a twitter account i really enjoy and if you follow us at slimehouse pod on twitter you'll see us share a lot of their content it's called shrek history and basically they just post like product tie-ins and stupid stuff like that almost on the daily and i find it so fascinating because I've, I've come to realize that shrek is such an unlikely commercial poster boy you know character to sell products and to become such a popular character he's just this, like green weird looking ogre <laughs> with ears that look like antennas and everything ties back to swamp and slime and just gross mud and things like that and like the whole thing is just a joke in a weird way. The whole movie, the whole premise, the whole character of Shrek is just this giant ploy that goes against everything that commercial America stands for. And and I think that that's beautiful in a weird way. Like that, that it's. Yeah, just... I think it's very rare to see a kid's character succeed on the level of Shrek, who's not really cute in any way, not in his personality, not in his habits, not in anything. <laughs> I, one of those movies I was talking about, like, when I said earlier on this episode that, like, Shrek is still such cannon fodder for memes is, like, the scene when Fiona's making eggs for Shrek and, like, looks at Donkey with this weird, like, 
kind of like his his mouth is like <laughs> yep. shut all the way down <laughs> yeah. vertically like that's like a new meme relatively speaking and like yeah uh-huh yeah i've only seen that recently Rewatching it i was one of the notes i made was that shrek has some amazing faces that aren't even like mm-hmm. gag faces they're not even like slimehouse faces but the faces again speaking to like the animation technology and stuff sell this great joke but before i forget i was reminded by this like this commercialization element of shrek that when shrek came out Baskin Robbins had a special swampy uh, Sunday that was really delicious, and I remember, <laughs> and it had gummy worms in it, like you know all the stuff that, that the swamp would have in it. And I remember when Shrek Two came out, <laughs> my sister and I were more excited that Baskin Robbins <laughs> was going to bring that back than for the movie itself. Oh come on, who would eat a Sunday with worms? Oh no! Help. The Shrek Hot Sledge Sunday, inspired by the new movie Shrek, only at Baskin Robbins. Yeah, this is funny. I got a couple of snaps. I have a memory tied back to those Sundays that you just unearthed. I remember getting one probably after Shrek Two came out. I'd have to assume and leaving it on like putting it on top of the car to like get in the car and le- and leaving it there and my parents driving off and losing my no. Shrek Sunday. Yeah. Which actually, interesting enough, after I was so upset about that to cheer me up, my parents showed me the scene in Raising Arizona where the baby like is left on oh, top of the funny. car in the car seat. And I found that scene very funny. And I think that was probably opened up a lot of comedy I find funny watching that scene from Raising Arizona. Thanks to the Shrek Sunday. So. <laughs> The Shrek Swamp Fizz. You make it pop, fizz, and change colors. Inspired by the new movie Shrek, only at Baskin Robbins. Just to stimulate your guys' minds, because I'm pretty sure you being of, of your nature, you probably don't think about this a lot. Me being a black guy, watching Shrek, like I noticed that they made a movie about a green character and had a green character a lead before they picked a black person or any person of color other than other than green. And I was like watching this back. I was like, damn, that's like that really sucks. Like you make a movie with like an ogre and all these fantasy characters and like still you can't find a way to be a little more progressive in the in the like the character designs that you choose. And like watching that. I'm like, it's still funny, it's still hilarious, but it's like, would this movie be as good without Eddie Murphy? Would this like would Mulan be as good without Eddie Murphy? Would in most of these movies with like a lot of people that are people of color? And then I was just like, that really watching these kinds of movies in the modern lens where everything is like under a magnifying glass really makes you like think back why couldn't they have done this differently? And even with like the way how they treat the ogres and their weight, I'm like She's like, I'm ugly and all this stuff like that. I'm like, damn, this is not going to, this doesn't age that well when you think about it. Cause it's like, is she ugly? Cause she's green. Is she ugly? Cause she's overweight. What are they referring to? I like what you bring up about donkey because I mean, Eddie Murphy is very much like, I think donkey when I was a kid, he was my favorite character. Most people's favorite characters. Donkey's the funniest character, but Shrek was the face of the merchandising. He was the face of the movie, despite like, I think Shrek's a good character, but no kid's favorite character, I feel like, is Shrek. Donkey is the calling card of this movie, yet does not get to be a, the key character. He's the funny sidekick that gets all the funny lines and doesn't really get any arcs of his own. In a weird way, it perpetrates that funny 
sidekick stereotype that you see in a lot of movies up until this point and more often than not it is a person of color you know and they're relegated to that sidekick role which is totally unfortunate as a white kid I didn't you know necessarily notice that but having a little bit more education and observing some more of kind of the the differences of those kinds of characters I think it it is extremely apparent and I like that you bring that up Mike yeah I think another thing that's really apparent is that Shrek, while it's a movie about like discrimination based on like appearance and even skin color, he's green. Like the character is still very much coded as white. He has a Scottish accent. He's a white char- like the character is coded as a Caucasian character, white voice actor, and it's just you're making a movie about like discrimination and people being bullied for how they look and stuff, but you still have a white a, a lead that despite being a fictional character, a fictional color is coded as white with a white actor yeah, very, doing the voice. It's, it's very interesting. It's I mean, it's still hilarious. It's still one of my favorite movies, but <laughs> you just can't help but think about, like, why? That seems unnecessary, but... You know. Yeah. But I think if you were to swap the two characters and have Eddie Murphy play Shrek, then all of the op-eds, all of, like, the conversation would be like, oh, it's this metaphor for race or whatever, but, like, that's totally not brought up. I've, I, I did see one critical piece about donkey i don't know a couple years ago and and just how it was some of the black stereotypes but it's it's not as much part of it even though it's a movie about like acceptance and outcasts and you know discrimination say that eddie murphy was at that time at least probably a bigger actor than mike myers because he's carried plenty Mm -hmm. of movies oh totally so it's it's even funny that like that's the position he's put in very still very prominent character but it's just like he totally could have carried this movie by himself if he wanted to yeah, and I think he's a bigger draw than Mike Myers at pretty much any point in time, including, yeah. I mean, I think he's a bigger comedic draw, always been more prolific. Mike Myers has always acted very rarely, and I think Eddie Murphy is the biggest star at this point, I would say. On that social note, there was a very funny tweet that kind of made the rounds a couple of years ago that Shrek is just a metaphor for gentrification. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I thought of that. <laughs> I hadn't watched the movie since I saw that tweet. So, you know, I, I had that top of mind when I was watching it this time. And it really is, you know, it, it's, you know, displacement of community. <laughs> Fairy tale things. Community displacement is literally what sets the story in motion. It's fascinating, you know, and, and maybe it, it's gentrification is a huge issue. You know, a lot of us live in metropolitan areas where it's a big deal right now. And aside from kind of meme humor, maybe Shrek <laughs> introduced us to that concept and it's stuck with us and, and how that affects communities. The movie even kind of like directly references that as a plot point. Why the, the three little pigs, I think their first line, they say like he huffed, he puffed and he served the eviction notice. So like they are talking about, they are talking about evictions and stuff in he the movie. So it very much is. <laughs> signed a notice of eviction. <laughs> so I feel like, yeah, they're very much like intentionally, trying to draw that line between this movie and like displacement and gentrification which is interesting i think that this movie that's pretty apolitical on the surface does have at least something in there that speaks to an issue that's like very real and uh, you don't really see addressed in media at all for the most part me for kids or for adults disney definitely wasn't doing that so that's that's another (laughs) thing that made this movie like oh okay we're gonna talk about some real stuff you know Mm -hmm. coded a little bit but definitely still discuss it Yeah, and it's interesting going on kind of the body image stuff, too. I do think this was one of the first movies that, while there is a lot of that kind of 
oh, I'm ugly for this reason, I'm ugly for that reason. I do think it was one of the first movies as a kid that I saw that really embraced kind of body positivity kind of message of there is someone for everybody, you know. Shrek can find, you know, the right person for him. I think it's, you know, a little misguided that, you know, you have to fall in love with somebody who looks like you or is just like you. But I think (laughs) think you got to start somewhere in those conversations. And I think that, you know, that idea of, it's okay to be the not conventionally pretty person. You don't have to be that to find true love or be accepted by the world. And I think that that message actually really has had a long lifespan after this movie. Actually, it's one of the few things that's from the book. Again, I don't remember the book nearly as well, but the last line of the book is, and they lived ugly ever after, which is the la- in the movie here. And it's sort of a play, like because he ends up with an ogre character similarly and and so i think that yeah that was a subversion that like he says you are beautiful to her when she's in her ogre form and so it would feel behind the times if it came out now but in 2001 yeah 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 pushing forward yeah i feel like especially kind of looking at the movie as a response to disney i feel like disney around this time and still get a lot of criticism for the design of their princesses is all like just being very generic like beauty standards and so having the big twist be that the princess turns out to actually be an ogre and has to learn to accept it i feel like is can kind of be tied back into how this movie sort of refuting the disney formula what kind of knight are you one of a kind everybody needs a little shrek 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 they got a big one and with that very fruitful fun trip down down memory lane, or shall I say through the memory swamp. Uh, let's jump into some slime scores, y'all. I, I'm curious how we kind of move along with this one, because it's definitely an unorthodox movie. I wasn't going to make this reference because I think it's a little obtuse, but like the Sergeant Peppers of Slimehouse, where it's like, <laughs> it's so undefinable like, yeah. within the genres that it takes from, mm-hmm. but like it, yet it's come to represent like Sergeant Rippers has come to represent like rock and roll in the yeah. 60s, even though it's so different than anything. Yeah, that's actually a really, that actually is a good analogy because yeah, Sergeant Rippers isn't like mm-hmm. the definitive rock and roll album, but it's so, impo- it's so, it's like maybe the best rock and roll album ever. So it's like, yeah. you know, yeah, that's really, that's a fascinating mm-hmm. analogy. But a lot of rich things to talk about for sure. So does anyone want to start? I can start. Um, so this one I think is a really interesting case, especially for, me as being the person that sort of coined Slimehouse and put together the initial list, just because always in my mind, Slimehouse has always been definitely focused on live action movies, and I know this podcast so far speaks to that. This is our first animated movie, actually, which is pretty crazy when we're doing a podcast about family movies. But yeah, so Shrek has always been hard for me to place because, like I said, this movie, as far as the jokes in it and stuff, all kind of represent the mainstreaming of Slimehouse tropes, but all kind of in this different form. And I think because of the difficulty I kind of have with this movie, placing it, I want to place it somewhere near the middle. I think I'm going with a six for this one. I think that the fact that it's animated and sort of a fairy tale thing kind of make it not feel as slimy to me. I mean, when you have an animated movie, you can't really go for what we talk about all the time as these sort of live-action cartoon gags, of course, because you're limited to the animated art form. But I think that this movie is just, as I sort of talked about earlier, bringing in all these sort of irreverence and crudeness that had kind of stewed in Slimehouse for all these years and breaking it into the mainstream. This movie 
plays too important of a part in Slime House and just features too much stuff that I think is slimy for me to place it anything below what, like I said, a six. I think this is a very important movie in the history of Slime House. Similarly, Max, I also had a lot of difficulty placing this movie. I kind of went into it thinking this is going to be slam dunk nine or ten, just because of, you know, the style of humor. But rewatching it, it's definitely, you know, that fairy tale nature and narrative really does shine through a lot. And maybe we, you know, need to adjust our definition a little bit as we kind of watch some more animated movies um, in the show. But to me, this is an eight. And for the, the, my reason for landing it there is because, as you very eloquently said earlier on the show, Max, like, besides the narrative, this is what kind of melded all of the elements of Slimehouse together. And it almost, like, couldn't be topped in a way in terms of just the Slimehouse attitude. But there is something about it to where Nelson always kind of brings this up where it's like, if you showed this movie to somebody who didn't know what Slimehouse was... As an example, I think they would be missing a lot of kind of the key elements of what we've kind of, at, to this point, defined as slime house. So I think for that reason, I'm going to give it an eight, which is still a very high score. I think it's a very important movie, uh, if not, you know, <laughs> maybe the most important in some ways. Yeah, I feel similar to that. To me, this is like an honorary slime house movie of sorts without like being like the truest bluest example of it and one thing i don't think we really got into was that character of shrek as like a protagonist i think he's a little older he's a little bit more you know vulnerable he, he kind of has this like sadness to him that i don't think really applies to the average you know it doesn't apply to a max keeble doesn't apply to whoever else so does that but like as we've said i just think this movie just was like there, there's the movie itself, and there's just, like, the point in time that it represents, which is very relevant to Slimehouse, where this kind of, like, this combination of self-aware, irreverent humor, this kind of, like, very particular, you know, like, wave of pop music. It's, 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 it's like, I almost want to give a slime score to the, the that moment in time, mm-hmm. because I feel like that's a 10. But, like, the movie itself, I think, is... Eight, eight sounds right. Jared, really quick, I, I just want to bounce off of you because something you always bring up is the anti-authoritarian nature of Slimehouse. Yeah. And I, I, we didn't talk about this, but this movie is the epitome of kind of anti-authoritarian cult, pop culture, kind of for kids. And, you know, we talked about the Disney stuff. We talked about flipping the page on a lot of fairy tale conventions and... That anti-authoritarian attitude to me is Slimehouse to a T. Ten, 10 out of 10. That helps me go with a higher Slime score. I think that maybe this isn't peak Slimehouse, but this is peak 2001 energy, you know? And 2001 is the year of Slimehouse in a lot of ways. I think to my Kids' Choice research, it's like by 2003, it had maybe been oversaturated. And then, you know, by 2005, the movement was passe. But... In this moment, like Slimehouse hit the mainstream. And so, yes, I think that it's interesting because I remember Jasper defending animated movies could be Slimehouse when he first found the list before we'd even met Max. And I was much more like, eh, I don't see animated movies as Slimehouse. But I think that 
yes, you can't have like the stylistic choices in this type of thing, but you've got like so much burp, fart, gas, humor that just is like, that's just like the sprinkling in across the thing, you know, like every chance you get, like they're walking up to the castle and like they have a whole thing about, you know, did Shrek just let one off? And Shrek's like, donkey, if it was me, you'd be dead, you know? And it's like that, that type of slime house plus the anti-authoritarian bend plus the pop culture stuff plus the smash mouth you know i'm almost at a 10 it's kind of like how i feel about grinch 2000 I, I this is a nine for me and this is this is a very solid nine it's it's like almost all there but yes you couldn't watch this movie and and understand everything about slime house the way you can with max keeble so i'm gonna go with a nine so I think since I came for Shrek kind of in the end with the social stuff, I'm gonna fight for Shrek, and I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a ten out of ten. Nice. And, and, and this is this is not coming lightly because I, I may know a thing or two about Slimehouse. I really I really invested it. <laughs> you do. In, you in do. Your, you can uh, confirm. You really do. Yeah. The thing that you like, you bring up the genre, Max. Like I was like, oh my god, this is my thing. But <laughs> here's why. Okay. So one Slimehouse, when you automatically just think of slime and even just the logos the presentation the marketing that you guys have is green right come on mm -hmm. so the movie is already shrek's green but the the elements and the tropes of like the gentle giant i think he definitely takes on that role because he's supposed to be an angry evil ogre but then you see throughout he's like actually a really nice guy he's nice to donkey like when he doesn't realize it and stuff like that so you have those character tropes then you have like the rich uh, villain, which is Farquaad, um, and he's probably the only human character that looks ridiculous. Uh, most of the other ones are actually very anatomically correct, which is where I kind of have this this fight for Shrek, where I'm like, there's a difference between a cartoon and an animated movie. Uh, cartoons they have like four fingers, they're big eyes, stuff like that. Then you have animated movies, which are like. Titan AE or, you know, mm. Atlantis and stuff like that. And it's, these characters look very much, they have very human features. So it's like, it's just animated so they can get away with the ogre and some of the special effects. It's not animated because it's a cartoon. So that's why I think it's, it still stays as close to Slimehouse as it can as an animated movie. Um, then also, you know, the talking animals and stuff like that. If you take... There's a big point in the movie where, and the, the whole thing is that the donkey is not supposed to talk. So mm -hmm. th them establishing that is telling you that they're, they all believe they're real people. They all believe this is a real world. So thinking that I'm trying, I, I believe like, oh, this is, this is Slime House because they, they very much think they're all humans. They think that they're living the, this is a regular live action movie. It's just that what we see as the viewers is animated. So because of that, based off the world that they think they live in, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a ten out of ten. I think I think it hits all the points that it's trying to hit, and it wants so badly to be slime house that I'm gonna reward it that. Um, but definitely after this movie, I think animated movies kind of took a a dive and started to become more cartoonish. So that's that's where it starts to move away from it. But yeah, other than that, I'm gonna. It's it it has layers. So. <laughs> like you know, I I actually I, re I really like that point you make about this movie's sort of role as an animated movie. Yeah. And 
I think I might bump it up to a. I'll bump it up to a seven. Mission accomplished. Because I really, do, I, I really do think this movie has like, despite being an animated movie, does I like the point you make about it? Kind of is scripted and sort of feels like a live action comedy that just happens to be animated. So I do think a seven is a fair. There you go, Shrek. I got you. Yeah, I, you know, I have to. I actually, yeah, Mike. Just hearing that was really awesome, and I, I have to go up to. I'm gonna go up to a ten because I, I think that there's so like I'm watching this movie and I'm like, this has so much of that energy that we're after. Yes, it's not. I don't think it's the quintessential Slimehouse movie, no. but I think that it has enough of those components, including yeah, the the swampy, slimy green colors that I, I'm, I'm willing to go up all the way for this. I'm not, I'm not going to adjust my score, uh, but I, I, I really like what you were saying, Mike, about this isn't the only, there's, this isn't an animated movie almost like by design. It's, it's animated, you know, out of necessity to show certain things visually. And what I think brings it a little bit closer to the slime house realm for me actually is a lot of the physicality of it is not cartoony. It's almost just like kind of an action movie or a fantasy movie. That is a really irreverent and anti-authoritarian and against the grain. And you know, I like that you fight for it like that as, a, as an animated movie because I'd never thought of it from that perspective. I think sometimes you just see a cartoon and you're like, oh, this is, this is animated. This is a cartoon. There is a big difference between, you know, like a cartoon and then just animation. Yeah. And I'm an anime fan. So like, you know, I, I have this fight all the time. Like, for sure, anime yeah. is not a cartoon, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, are there any anime slime house movies? I don't know. Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Dragon Ball Z, I'd say, borders on Slimehouse the most of any or Dragon anime Ball. I can think of. That's yeah. funny. That's very funny. Uh, well, amazing discussion, you guys. Thank you, Mike, so much for joining the show. Always a, pl- always a pleasure to have you. We have, again, yeah, thank you. Have, thank you. You gave us your list of 10 movies that you, or more that you want to join for, so you're first on the list for many of those. I, so I, I, I'm gonna say it here now, Bebe's kids and Fern Gully. If they do those episodes and I'm not on it, <laughs> I need y'all to go on Twitter and I need y'all to drag them and cancel them. Cancel us. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would deserve it. I I know for a fact, like this level of discussion, we will be able to just pick right up where we left off with with Shrek two whenever the time comes. Oh so. yeah, for sure. Hey, we do have a random shuffle pick coming up in a few weeks so you never know (laughs) you never know what it could hold (laughs) yeah and mike where can again where can our listeners find you on on the internet as well um you can find me at mike thompson on instagram but i also have my own podcast called black man in the right world i talk about social issues i talk about a lot of entertainment like you know watchmen and Lovecraft Country, things like that, and how it applies to being white in America, but also being black, because my co-host and my writing partner, Grant Harvey, uh, is a white male, so we have a lot of conversations that people do, that look like us don't normally have. So, yeah, just another another review podcast, but with our own spin, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I check it, it out. It's great. Please go check it out, everyone. So that's Shrek celebrating its 20th birthday. But we have another birthday coming up next week, and that is H. Nelson Tracy, co-host of the podcast. And in Slimehouse tradition, he gets to pick a birthday selection. Jared picked Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I picked Mouse Hunt. And I think I have a guess of what Nelson is going to pick. If you don't mind if I just Mm. 
Yes, I've I've made my choice. It was it was an interesting decision of what, and I went a different direct. Well, no, I'll, I'll, I've made my choice. But yes, I'm I'm welcome to some guesses. So go ahead. So I'm gonna guess that it's the boss baby, and my reasoning is, I know you and your little your your brother Sam are big fans, and I know that that was one of the movies that sold you on the genre. That I think only Jared has seen it, but I don't think Max and I have seen it. No, and I haven't seen it. There is a sequel coming out, so I think it's good prep work. And I know you like to think ahead, so mm. I'm going to guess the boss baby. Anyone else I, have a guess? For some reason, I had a gut feeling for Inspector Gadget. No justification <laughs> for that. Just for some reason, I had a feeling for. I, Inspector I have to say Gadget. that's a lot. That's a lot closer of a guess than the boss baby. Um, I, 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 need will, a, I need a hint. I need a um, hint. <laughs> Inspector Gadget is the right kind of era i'll say that so it's a 90s movie yeah yeah is it a brendan <laughs> fraser movie it's not um although i feel like i, I want to say i want to have this on record we are doing a brendan fraser episode soon because that is the one slime star i feel like we've slept on but um d2 the mighty ducks <laughs> <laughs> i've actually only seen the d2 i've never seen d1 so um I'm right. solid guess um and I think that the boss baby we've got to do before the sequel comes out, but I am not doing it for my birthday pick. Um, and Inspector Gadget, I have fond memories of as a child uh, seeing it in theaters. This is a movie that <laughs> I saw in theaters, promptly forgot about, and then like stumbled across it on IMDb and it was like, oh yeah, that was a movie? And I was stoked because nobody had logged it on Letterboxd <laughs> until like a month ago, Jasper logged it as seen, which is very cryptic. I don't know what that means. But, that means I've um, seen it. <laughs> it probably means you saw it in 1998 when it came out. And the movie is Meet the Deedles. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> the only thing I know about this movie is the poster that, with the big blue waves, like, as their hair. Nice <laughs> pick. Really nice pick, Nelson. I'm, yeah, I'm, great I'm choice. This is a movie I've wanted to see for quite some time. I'm going to level with you. I have not heard of this movie. I've, I've seen this so movie glad. twice, actually. I saw it in theaters with my mom when I was off track from school because we had year-round scheduling. So we had like huh. a month off randomly. And I think this came out in like March or something. So we just like saw it on a weekday. And then I think they played it on Disney. And I was like, oh man, meet the Deedles. What a movie. <laughs> <There's> some... <laughs> um, I, I and I just forgot. watched Blue Velvet and Dennis Hopper has an amazing supporting role in Meet the Deedles. So I'm very excited for this. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I I will save my like long thoughts on seeing it, but I, I had seen it once as a kid and I have not seen it since. And I felt like, <laughs> unlike Jared and Jasper, where they picked like favorites of theirs, I'm like, this is one that like, I know I saw it once and I want to like return back into that foray. And it is on Disney Plus <laughs> as a bonus. So <laughs> Meet the deedles. Yeah, I can't, can't nice. wait nice. to cover. Can't wait to cover this one. I feel like it'll be a fruitful journey. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great pick. I love that pick. Mm -hmm. Fuck yeah! Um, All right. Until next week, you guys. Stay, stay slimy. slimy. Stay slimy. Stay swampy. Slimehouse, a podcast created by Jared Anderson, Jasper Birnbaum, Max Morris, and H. Nelson Tracy. Visit us on the web at slimehousepod.com. Our website is created by Brian Hume of Valencia Creative Co. Theme music composed by Greta Russell. 
If you like what you hear, support this podcast at anchor.fm slash pod or by following us on social media at slimehousepod.